Arizona's sports station. The Rundown Reload. Rundown Reload. It is the Rundown, April 15th, 2020 edition. Not quite live from the Auction Community Studios. We're actually live from my house, which uh, it's not the same, but... We're thinking of the Akchin Community Studios. I'm your host, Luke Lipinski, Michaela Perkins, producing as always. And look, we know we're going to have a lot of sports to talk about next week with the NFL Draft coming up uh, next Thursday, Friday, and into the weekend. But today, we actually had quite a bit of sports news. And we're going to start with Major League Baseball, Jeff Passan, who, of course, last week uh, had that story about how we may very well be seeing all of Major League Baseball playing in Phoenix for this upcoming season, if that's the only way to salvage the season. He was on with Doug and Wolf this morning, talked about a few different elements to this uh, this potential story. A couple things he said that that really stood out. One of them was was the value of having everyone in one city. Because if you recall, Passon had the story a little while back about how Major League Baseball might all play in Phoenix. And then like four or five days later, there was the story of, well, why don't we just have spring training, why don't we have those leagues, the Cactus League and the Grapefruit League, why don't we have those be essentially the American League and the National League? It's like sort of realignment for one season. We've already got a weird season no matter what. At best, we'll have a weird season. We're just trying to salvage the season part of that. Otherwise, we just have weirdness. So there was that thought out there of why don't you just have the Cactus League be one side and whoever wins the Cactus League plays whoever wins the Grapefruit League and that's your World Series champion for 2020. There are pros and cons, certainly, to both sides. But Jeff Passan pointed out to Doug and Wolf this morning, there's there's a lot of value to having all the teams in one city, if you can pull it off. And I'm going to stop saying the caveat of if you can pull it off to every statement here, because I think that's just implied at this point. But there's value to having all the teams in the Phoenix area, as opposed to spread out all over Florida. And spread out in different counties of Florida. And you have different governing bodies within the state. And let's be let's be clear here. All of the governments right now at the state level have other things they are focused on as opposed to baseball or any sports. If you can just put it all in one city and you're not really, I don't want to say disrupting, but you're not taking attention from the leadership in, in, in all these different counties. And again, Florida's all spread out. And by the way, I know it's hot here. If you ever been to Florida in the summer, it's hot and it's humid. And when people tell you, oh, Arizona's a dry heat, and then you go to Arizona and you're like, well, it's 110 degrees. doesn't really matter if it's dry. Uh, it actually does matter if it's dry because if you go and try to play baseball outdoors in Florida in the middle of July, it's not going to be fun. It's not going to be fun here either for a lot of these players if they're playing at like noon, but they're not going to schedule the games like that. So there's, I just, the thought of of having the Cactus League and the Grapefruit League play out the regular season games, that is intriguing to me just from a sports fan perspective of, hey, we're going to have a season where we're going to see complete realignment and then it's going to go back to normal, hopefully in 2021. But logistically, having all the teams in Phoenix, if you're going to have them all in one city, or in one location still makes a lot more sense to me than having them spread out all over the state of Florida. So I completely agree with with Passon on that one. It sounds like one of the big potential obstacles here is, you know, are you going to get players to sign off? Are you going to get every player to sign off? 
if they either can't bring their family or, you know, if you bring your family, well, then your family's essentially sequestered with you for four and a half months as well. That's a sticking point. You're asking players to make a decision and you're asking families to make a decision. You go and Mike Trout's been the, the name thrown out there a lot because he's expecting his first kid and I believe in July. So is he going to be able to go see the birth of his first kid in the middle of the season or, you know, maybe that ends up being and actually, no, it's it's going to be in the middle of the season if they try and do this, I would think, or it's at least going to have already started the season, Will. So there's all these questions they're going to have to answer. But bottom line, if this is the only way to salvage the season, don't you kind of have to do it? Admittedly, there are a hundred different things that can go wrong here and that can scuttle this. But in the end, if you are dealing with a binary situation, which is either you try it this way or you don't play baseball this year, I think you try it this way, so long as you can do it in a healthy and conscientious fashion. Yeah, Passon went on to say, uh, quote, I think a lot of it depends on whether families can come. I think if we get to a point where Major League Baseball says if families coming is what needs to be done in order for this to happen, we will make that work. I think you have baseball in Phoenix. I think it is that simple, unquote. That's Again, that's Jeff Passon. This is one of, if not the most highly regarded baseball insiders out there and you know he, he referenced Arizona or bust as as a very real thing for baseball this season now he also pointed out they can just try and wait this out and, and see if they get to a point where teams can play in their home stadiums across the country by July I mean that's basically when you're going to have to do it if you want to have any sort of season for Major League Baseball you can try to wait that out I don't think if you go down that path you're going to have fans in the stadiums either and, and I, I do think it's important to remember there's at least the possibility of you get everybody isolated and you have either the families are with the players or some of them aren't, and that's it. I mean, for four and a half months or whatever, you're sequestered either with your family or without your family. If if things in this country suddenly get better, let's just say things come together and they start this this all-Phoenix all baseball season uh, June 1st, let's say, for the sake of this conversation, and then things in this country suddenly get better at the end of July or whatever – well, then you can just go ahead and disperse the teams back to where they need to be and they can play their games in their stadiums. But I don't think we're going to see sports with fans in the stadiums for a while. Again, with the obvious understanding that safety has to come first, I think if you can find a way to do things safely, I don't really care if the fans are in the stadiums, honestly. I know I'm in the minority there. I would never want to get to the point where you're just always playing without fans in the stadiums. But if you're telling me, hey, we could have baseball back on June 1st, but we won't have fans in the stadiums, wouldn't you rather just wait till next season? No, I wouldn't. You know where there's fans? There's fans watching on TV and listening on the radio. So if it's safe for you to play the game in front of an empty stadium for this one season, do it. And there probably is some level of responsibility for players and baseball to play if they can safely. Again, not taking away from the safety of themselves or others, not taking away resources that need to be supplied to to higher risk populations or any of that stuff. But if they get through this next month or whatever and they deem this completely safe and it's not going to be a disruption to the overall community. I mean, I live in this specific community as well, certainly. Uh, but but communities anywhere. If they feel like this is something they can do and it simply comes down to people looking around saying, well, we're not going to make as much money this year. Nobody's making any money right now. So wouldn't you want to play baseball if you're a professional athlete and, and you can do it? I get the family thing's going to be tough. We talked about this last week. 
you have to if you have to look at your family and say, okay, either I'm going to be away from you for four months, or you're going to come with me and live in a hotel with me for four months in Phoenix. That's a tough decision. I completely get that, but you do have to look at it through the lens of what we're all experiencing right now. It's not a matter of okay, family, I'm going to leave you for four months, or you're going to come with me, but you know you can't take the kids to their friends' birthday parties or or movies or anything. You can't do that now anyway. So we'll see, but. I, I'm taking notice at how steadfast Jeff Passan is that if baseball is going to happen anytime soon, it's all going to happen in Phoenix in his mind. Over to football, Steve Keim addressed the media over Zoom earlier today and said a lot of different things. We'll get into to some of the different elements of what he talked about as we head towards the draft next Thursday, but want to point out that he did say David Johnson passing his physical, which means that trade will commence. So if you're a Cardinals fan, you can breathe easy now. And if you're a Texans fan, look, I'm sorry. I don't know what to tell you about your coach slash GM, Bill O'Brien, but whatever. (laughs) The Arizona sports teams have been on the wrong side of these deals before. Maybe not quite this extreme, but they've been on the wrong side of these deals before. So uh, I think Cardinals fans and and just sports fans in Arizona are going to rejoice over this one. There has been a pretty prevalent school of thought that adding DeAndre Hopkins in that trade essentially says, okay, the Cardinals are going a different direction than wide receiver with that eighth pick. Probably. Not necessarily, though. Steve Kime didn't rule out the idea of drafting a guy like CeeDee Lamb or one of those other receivers with that eighth pick or in the first round or if they get a second-round pick or in the third round or whatever. And there's a couple ways to look at this. First and foremost, the Cardinals become one of the most compelling intriguing offenses in football if they start the 2020 season with Kyler Murray at quarterback Kenyon Drake at running back you know I I I know Kenyon Drake's probably not moving the needle much in other markets but whatever he fits Cliff Kingsbury's offense and you run out receivers Christian Kirk Larry Fitzgerald DeAndre Hopkins and CeeDee Lamb let's say not in that order by the way so that's the first part of this Welcome to a high-flying offense and everything Cliff Kingsbury could ever want to make his offense work at the NFL level. The second part of it, though, is the, this might not be that crazy. The more you think about it, and this is essentially where Steve Kime was, was going with this conversation earlier today. You've got DeAndre Hopkins at the moment locked up for three years. They're going to redo his deal. I don't know if that's going to extend years onto it, probably. But for now, you have DeAndre Hopkins locked up for three years. And regardless, whether it's three, four, or five, ultimately, you've got Hopkins locked up for the foreseeable future. He's your number one receiver. Beyond that, what do you have at that position? And I'm looking past this year. You've got Larry Fitzgerald for this year. You don't have him signed past this year. He may very well retire at the end of this season. You've got Christian Kirk for this year and next year. After that, free agent. Now, you're probably going to keep Christian Kirk, but I'm just saying, hear me out here. Those top three guys, you've got DeAndre Hopkins for the foreseeable future as your number one receiver. You don't know about Fitz past this year. You don't totally know what you have in Christian Kirk yet. We all we all love the upside, and if he's your number three receiver, that's great. But what if he's your number four option? How great is that? Because past those three, you've got Andy Isabella. You don't know what you have in him yet. Probably you have a deep threat to take the top off the defense because they're all focused on DeAndre Hopkins, Larry Fitzgerald, and Christian Kirk. I don't know that you have much more than that in Indy Isabella. And maybe that's all you need him to be. Certainly it's all you need him to be as your fifth receiver, if you see where I'm going here. You don't know what you have in Hakeem Butler. You don't know what you have in Keyshawn Johnson and some of these other guys. 
So beyond this upcoming season, all you know for sure is you've got DeAndre Hopkins and Christian Kirk potentially on the last year of his deal, and we haven't seen him put together a whole season yet. Like We haven't seen Christian Kirk be dominant for 16 games. So if you did take a receiver, aside from it just being fun, is there an element of intelligence to it? Because if let's just let's use CD Lamb as the example just to make Kyler Murray happy. I'm sure he's listening. Then you know going into 2021, you've got Hopkins, you've got CD Lamb, and you've got Christian Kirk. You might have Fitz. Okay, well that's great. Then I've got four receivers, four high end receivers. Beyond that, you know you've got Hopkins and Lamb. You'd have to re-sign Kirk. If he shows you in the next two years he's worth re-signing, okay, great. Then you know you've got three receivers two years down the line. What I'm trying to say here is you've got Hopkins. You know he's going to be your number one for at least the next three years. But if you could draft another guy that could be a really strong number two or somebody that that has number one caliber skill, it might not be as irresponsible as it seems on first glance. Now, realistically, I still think they probably go offensive line with that eighth pick if they keep it. If you trade down and you add a second rounder and all of a sudden you've got like the 15th pick and... Jerry Judy somehow still there at 15 or whatever. All right. Well, you've got your second round pick at that point. You could go offensive line in the second round, or you could try and help out the, the, the front seven on the defense or whatever. Where it's tough right now, I think, to take a receiver with the eighth pick is because you don't have your second round pick. So if you could add a couple picks and drop down, or if you could find another way to, to, to stockpile some pieces on the offensive line or on the defensive front seven. I don't want to take a receiver just because it'll be fun. And then all of a sudden you look around the rest of the team is, is weaker than it, it should be. Because again, this goes back to my, my perennial point on the Cardinals. When football picks back up again, you've got Kyler Murray and you've got him on that rookie deal. So your window's opening the second we kick off the next regular season game. Your window's open at that point. Not that I expect them to win a Super Bowl this year, but your window's open because it's a lot easier when you find that sweet spot where your quarterback is really good, potentially great, like Kyler Murray is, and he's not making that much money. He's getting paid. I mean, he was the number one overall pick in the draft, but he's not making that much. So you have cap space to build a team around him. All right, over to basketball here real quick before we wrap up. I feel like we have to at least talk a little ASU hoops. We uh, we talked at the end of the show with Kellen Olsen yesterday about this, but there's an athletic piece out there, and it goes through and ranks the uh, the top coaching hires, the best and worst, actually. So they, they also uh, they, they go to the other end of this as well. But the best and worst coaching hires from 2015, and they look at the Power 5 schools. Bobby Hurley, number one on the list. It kind of got lost in the shuffle, but if ASU, if, if just if the season had played out, regardless of what ASU did in the Pac-12 tournament, they were going to make the NCAA tournament. It would have been their third straight appearance in the NCAA tournament. Now, if you're a U of A fan, you may say, okay, well, whatever, big deal. If you're a neutral, you're not a fan of either team, you might say, okay, well, it's probably been a few years since ASU's been to three consecutive NCAA tournaments, right? Yeah, the last time they did it was the 1963-64 season. So if you want context of what Bobby Hurley is doing for this program, that's the only stat you need. But also, how about the fact that they just added Joshua Christopher, the highest-rated recruit in ASU basketball history. Uh, I mean, they haven't been rating recruits since, like, the 40s or whatever, but you know what I mean. Highest-rated recruit since they were using the system to, to rank recruits. 
even rated higher than James Harden. Do I expect Joshua Christopher to be James Harden? No. James Harden was was one of those players, and you know this if you watched ASU basketball when he was when he was here, but especially if you went to games. Within five minutes of watching James Harden, you could tell this guy's an NBA player. He doesn't belong on the court with these other guys, or maybe more appropriately, these other guys don't belong on the court with him. You could tell that instantly watching James Harden play basketball his freshman year at ASU. So I don't expect Joshua Christopher to be James Harden, and I certainly don't expect him to have the NBA career that James Harden's having. But that doesn't change the fact Bobby Hurley just landed a huge recruit. Adds Luther Muhammad and Holland Woods, too. And it's important to remember, Remy Martin and Ramella White declaring for the NBA draft doesn't mean they're gone. It doesn't. And if they come back, and all of a sudden you go from a week ago, it felt like, okay, well, ASU next season is going to have Alonzo Verge and some other guys. You could feasibly have Josh Christopher, Luther Muhammad, Holland Woods can't play till the following season. But you could have Christopher, Muhammad, Alonzo Verge, Rami Martin, Ramella White. I'll take that. I'll take that. Tell me that's not a tournament team. The other thing that always comes up with Bobby Hurley, it's inevitable. Anytime he does anything good at ASU, there's always the conversation of, well, how long until some other school comes along and, and takes him? Um, just getting recruits I don't think is going to be enough for the right school to come along and pluck him out of Tempe. If ASU starts going on runs to the Sweet 16, or who knows, maybe, I mean, if, if all those guys come back next year, maybe the Elite Eight, who knows? I'm just saying. They haven't been there in forever. I understand that. It's not, like, it's not like they're making runs to the second week of the NCAA tournament every year. But I'm just saying if they did start doing that, Okay, then there's going to be more schools coming and knocking. I don't think Bobby Hurley's just up and leaving ASU. I really don't. I really, really don't. He's building something here. More and more fans are showing up. It's becoming a bigger spectacle within this city, which we know is tough, especially in February and March when you've got, you know, you've got the Suns, you've got the Coyotes, you've got spring training, you've got Phoenix Open, you've got all this stuff going on. But he's building something here, and... This has been my stance now for the last couple years. If Duke comes calling for Bobby Hurley, okay, well, then he's leaving. I think we can all accept that, right? But if you're telling me some other college that's maybe a little bit better than ASU, but they're in, like, the Big East or something, I don't think Bobby Hurley's leaving to make a lateral move or to make a slightly better move because he has every opportunity to be the best thing that has ever happened to the ASU basketball program. Certainly on the coaching side. Now you could say, well, what about James Harden? Yeah, I'm not going to diminish what James Harden has done. But James Harden was only here for a couple years. If Bobby Hurley stays for 15 years and builds this into the best program in the state of Arizona and they are a perennial tournament team and they are consistently at some point making the second weekend of the tournament and they're a threat to go deeper, you're always going to remember the truly great players over the coaches. I get that. And I'm not even saying that's wrong. But the fact that we can even have this conversation where Bobby Hurley, if he stayed here for the long haul, could go down as as one of the best things to ever happen to the ASU basketball program, that's got to be enticing to him. Especially because he's already here. You're not trying to sell him on it. He's here. He's got his recruits here. They would have made the tournament again this year. And you can make a real compelling case. They could be even more dangerous next season. So we'll see. It's, it's crazy how quickly things have flipped with ASU in the last week or so. 
in the last month they went from making the NCAA tournament and having a team that was set up with experience to potentially make a run to not only is there not March Madness, they don't have Remy Martin or Romello White, to oh, they just got Joshua Christopher and they got Luther Muhammad and you know Remy Martin and Romello White might not be leaving all that certainly. I mean, even if just one of them comes back, and now that you have these uh, these recruits and these transfers, like this this is, could be a very interesting upcoming season in Tempe. All right, that's going to do it for us. We will be right back at it tomorrow. Thanks to everybody for listening. Thanks to Michaela Perkins for producing. I'm Luke Lipinski. This has been the Rundown on ArizonaSports.com.